0: Welcome to the Geekcentric Podcast. Today, we finally get the answer to the question, who killed Tim Kono? Because we're coming at you with a review of the season finale and for the entire first season as a whole of Hulu's Only Murders in the Building. What's up, Geeks? My name is Kev, and we're here to dissect and discuss the big reveals and the twists and turns of the whodunit murder mystery, only murders in the building, available here in Canada on Star via Disney+. Plus. A big warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't finished watching the adventures of the Arconia tenants, Charles, Oliver, and Mabel, be sure to check it out, and then come back to hear all of our thoughts and opinions. Joining me on the program today are two super sleuths who are here to find the truth, it's Justin and Nate. How are we, gentlemen? Hey, hey. Let's get
1: sleuthy tonight, everybody. Yeah, oh. <laughs> well,
0: uh, season one of Only Murders in the Building has wrapped, and while we got so many answers we've been waiting for, it seems a whole new pile of mysteries has cropped up for our podcasting murder-solving crew of misfits. Were we satisfied with the resolutions we did get?
1: I mean, for the most part, I, I, I was, I think, the the idea, and I mean, we'll probably get into the end a little bit later, but the idea to kind of hold that, that final reveal uh, for yeah. where it looks like season two is going to go right till the very end, um, mm-hmm. I thought was really, really good. And the way that they sort of um, uh, worked that through the the finale, I thought. Uh, was cool to sort of plant those small seeds before they got to that reveal if you go back and rewatch it you'll you'll very clearly see how yes. it's going to kind of play out um and, yeah I really liked how everything
2: kind of wrapped up with with a nice little bow you know Nate pointed out you know there's there's a lot of seeding that went on and and, and upon rewatch, it was really clear I you know just to see how it all comes together at the end I think they did a, a really great job of, of wrapping it up while also leaving us wanting more
1: I, I did dig it I, I I was I was happy with it there was only one aspect about it to kind of Didn't work for me, but we'll get into that. Oh,
0: okay. Let's get into that. But before we break that down, uh, as well as discuss the entire first season, we have a very special treat for you. We Mm -hmm. reached out to show co-creator John Hoffman, and he was kind enough to sit down with Justin so we could learn a little bit about his process in creating the wildly successful and popular show, as well as how a show like this comes together. Please enjoy and be sure to stick around for our breakdown of all things Only Murders in the Building afterwards.
2: Well, I am very happy to introduce one of the creators, writers, and executive producers of, well, let's just say one of the best shows that has come out of 2021, and one of our favorite shows, Only Murders in the Building. John Hoffman, thank you so much for joining us. How are you, man?
3: Man, just, I'm so (laughs) good. I'm so happy to talk to you. It's, um... That introduction is like a dream, like I could have written it myself. Justin, so it's very exciting. Very-
2: <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, let's let's actually just get right into our discussion here, and uh, we have a ton of questions that we want to ask you, uh, really around around this series and how it came to be. So let's actually start at the beginning. As I mentioned, you're you're credited as one of the creators, along with with Steve Martin. And we were wondering collectively, how did this come about? Did 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 you approach Steve with the idea for the show, or or vice versa, or did you two like come up with this concept and just kind of hash it out?
3: Well, you know, Steve and I have known each other since high school, so no, I'm oh kidding. wow, uh, no, not really. <laughs> uh, I've never met him. I can't believe when you say like, yeah, you co-created the show with Steve Martin. It sounds bizarre to me, still to the um. It's absurd, but it's a thrill, but no, I, this was Steve Martin's idea right. that he shared with Dan Fogelman and Jess Rosenthal, who, uh, were trying to get a lunch with him for many years. And, uh, they liked the idea very much and wanted someone to come and show this thing and hopefully have some ideas on it. And they called me, I had no Jess for uh, years, uh, as a producer and, um, I was working on a show, Grace and Frankie, with two other legends, because I really only like to work with
2: legends. Right, apparently.
3: Um, ridiculous. <laughs> um, but uh yeah, so I was I was doing that, but immediately upon hearing this idea, I just like
2: sparked to a bunch of thoughts on it. And that's always a good sign. Right, absolutely. You're doing that
3: with them and I and and they liked what they were hearing. And so then we had dinner with Steve Martin and I kind of shared my initial thoughts and he just immediately was like, terrific, let's do it, let's go. Wow. Great.
2: The rest is history, as they would say, I guess, right?
3: It moved like the wind. It really did. From that moment on, it was like, it really helps, it turns out, to have very talented, powerful people with you when you're doing a show.
2: Well, yeah, sharing that executive producer role with you is, you know, the trio of cast is is Selena Gomez, Steve Martin, and Martin Short. So you, you have their backing of really wanting to push this series forward. Um, which is which is great, because it, it did, it, you know, even with COVID times, the show was able to to achieve, you know, actually being completed and at, at a perfect time. So I think that's great. You know, obviously, podcasting is is essential to this story. And, and you know, together, we love the nuances of of how we get to watch them grow their audience very much like how we are right now growing our audience. We're very new as well. And, you know, to the point where they have fans and then it just kind of takes a very meta course. And, and that kind of runs through as like a theme throughout the, the entire series. But with that in mind, like, were there podcasts, like was podcasting always kind of like central to the story? And, and did you guys do any sort of research in and around uh, true crime podcasts to kind of get the sense of how to implement certain strategic parts to the narrative?
3: Such a good question. Um, oh yeah. So I kind of was the one who brought, I believe it was, Steve had the original idea of these three people in a building who all share this love of true crime podcasts, one in particular, who then something happens in their building and they're being like drawn into investigating that. And so thinking of, I knew Steve and Marty were a part of this and, uh, and then trying to think of like New York, I've always wanted to do a show in New York how do you like what's what's the the classic new york and the classic comedian legends how do you modernize what do you do to modernize and then so in the murder mystery realm the idea of a podcast actually doing their own podcast right and actually those guys in roles as a director and an actor Mm -hmm. while producing their own podcast it all just became like okay that's comedy gold potentially Right. In my ears, from what I know of Martin <laughs> and in for all yeah. my life. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a way I can start to feel writing stuff that feels meta-funny, uh, you know, commentary, uh, just juicy, delicious insanity.
2: And I, I think I think just the idea too of as you described, you know, Martin Short and and, and Steve Martin, you know, they, they do come as like this sort of package ensemble right they 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 don't they know how to work with each other so well and that kind of leads me into our, my next question about casting right? We, we have these, these two very likely characters playing almost very exaggerated and, and similar versions to who they are in real life. You know, Steve Martin, the musical side. And I think the over-the-top nature of, of Martin Short in Ollie is just, in the theatrics, is just awesome. Like, it's just, it's so perfect. that It's the, their own nuances. But then you throw someone like Selena Gomez, who we, I, at first, when we saw the preview, we called out in our, our spoiler-free, it felt like a stunt cast move but the way she blends into this duo of you know veteran actors is incredible. W- was it always the intent to bring her on as this sort of millennial representation of today, or was were there other options that were kind of there?
3: Always other options. However, um, I think it was Dan Fogelman who first introduced the sort of idea, like what about if it's someone who's completely not who we'd expect? And that got us all very excited. Um, And then it became like, well, then what is that? Who is that? And we started to really bandy about who could that be? Um, And a couple of things happened. We met with Selena because we admired her work. And there was, there's a tone to her uh, in in her work that I was intrigued by, Mm -hmm. just in contrast to those guys. Right. So that was exciting. But then we had a Zoom with her and she revealed that she was like a true crime nut as well, went to like Con with her mother. Oh, cool. uh, and I was like, oh, okay, so she guys are, we did not know how these three would mix. They loved, Stephen, and loved Selena uh, before reading with her, and we only read the first script, I want to say like three weeks before we started shooting over Zoom, to hear what the three of them would be like. I never heard Selena read a line from the script until three weeks, three weeks before we were shooting, and wow. that was the most electric moment, I have to say, just right from the beginning on that Zoom as she just started chiming in in that way. And she's got this laser focused, like dry delivery that cuts through and just sets them back on their heels. Loved
2: it. Yeah, I thought what was so interesting for for me, at least I can speak for myself is, you know, you have these, these two veteran actors, let's just call them what they are, older gentlemen, Charles and Ollie, you know, and they are just such old souls that are trying to adapt into today. And then you have Mabel with, With conventionally an older name, right, which I think is just is so it's so ironic. And she seems like she's very much an older soul. So I I just thought the layers that were implemented with with that dynamic of characters was was so well done. And, And also with that, you know, from a writing standpoint, how did you navigate their own background stories within the larger narrative that you were telling?
3: That's the delight of like doing a television series, and with
2: Steve right. and Marty particularly, who would never—well, Steve it has never been a series right? regular on a show before. Like right. that idea of like, wait,
3: what's the completion of this story? And I'm like, well, there isn't. One. You get to roll that out, and like, we are just dropping seeds and interest, and in like, mm-hmm. new dimensions are exposed in these characters. So we knew we wanted to do that, and then flip it at times and. Get deeper into the mysteries within these characters as they're you know investigating this own this mystery in their building. So I think that was really fascinating because you you know Marty's a really strong dramatic actor. Steve is a beautiful sort of vulnerable actor. Selena has great vulnerability and also just just incredible honest reactions to everything so there were layers of the characters we were knowing we were wanting to expose but layers of the actors i felt like that were being shown to all of us and they really stepped up that's the thing that's so amazing to me throughout the entire time all of them just brought the very best of themselves to this thing and and, and it just felt completely right to me. And I wasn't sure with Steve and Marty too, writing them, you know, you're always worried. I was worried like, am I writing too much like what I have in my ear that I think they'd be like and are they going to be like, let us write that. But in some way, it felt like, it, you know, I've just got them in my blood from like anyone who's known them for as long as we've been on the earth. And, and you kind of are just imagining them in some form of that matching characters. It was it an was amazing process.
2: Yeah, it was it was awesome to see it come to life. And I think you're absolutely right. They just they just worked so well together, and they brought their own nuances of of who they are. Now, as I have it, you were credited for writing episodes one, nine, and ten, correct?
3: Yes, that's correct. Yes, that is correct. Co- uh, co-writing all, oh,
2: yeah. Co-writing. So you co did you co-write all of the episodes essentially?
3: Well, we well, the way it works in TV is I I'm the showrunner of the show meeting that I will run the writer's group, all of us collectively outside of the pilot. Pilot was written by uh, myself and Steve, and certainly Dan and Jess were involved in shaping all of that as well. That was a big process to get the pilot just right and launch us. And then uh, from there on, it was the writer's room and sort of shaping out the season and splitting up the duties and and sort of, yeah. Um, So the names on the scripts are certainly the leaders of the people who are handled people. the scripts, yeah. But um, in general, the room is the room helping to shape the whole season.
2: Well, that and that kind of leads into what I was thinking here in that were you surprised with these other writers that you were working with the direction that they took the story or was that always just kind of like a foresight of like how you kind of wanted to move through this narrative?
3: Working in television now for a, a little bit of time, it seems to be the thing I loved to the most is sort of right. set the broad strokes of a season and lay out the season in acts, and Mm -hmm. look at each episode individually. I always say, like, I want to hold each episode in my hand. So I had a pretty good track of all 10 in my head that we were. But certainly they the writers are brilliant and made everything a thousand
2: times better. But um, it was it was a, a pretty clear view of what the season should feel like at the beginning. Yeah I I feel like one of the outstanding episodes is I think episode seven the boy from 6B where you know there's a complete lack of dialogue and it's all from the the perspective of being deaf and and I think that that it just it did such a great job of kind of putting us in that character's place and then also I think it might have been the following episode to protect and serve Uh, where we follow Divine Joy Randolph's uh character Detective Williams. She was unbelievable like she was she was absolute highlight I loved how like real and raw she was and uh, it definitely helped to have her character sort of uh, in this narrative and, and how she's motivated from the podcast as well so you know I, I love those two episodes because it kind of takes us a little bit outside to really show other elements and, and obviously episode seven playing a huge part in into the the larger narrative
3: there were so many things about that that you know we were sort of like, I was so shocked and delighted that, you know, the studio network would embrace us doing that in a first sentence to have an episode with no dialogue except one line. Right. Um, yeah. But they really did embrace it. And it, uh, to me, it was always interesting because like, you know, it's where we are doing that meta thing with podcasts in a certain ways. Yes. You know, it's podcast being a completely audio experience. Um, you know, here we are going to do a visual medium, which is all visual for the thing, but that one uh, was amazing to work on, as, as all of them have been. But we all wonder, could, could that really be pulled off in, in some version that was close to what we got to? And it, I think all of us on the first cut, the director's cut, uh, came in and we were like, oh, we're riveted." <laughs> the performance and everything came together. And I honestly feel that way across the season. There are ways in which felt like everyone was such a piece on this one everyone was working at like with the highest level and, and just with great heart because we're making it during the damn pandemic and everyone was making such leaps and risks to be there in the first place and wanted to be uh so it was great it was um crazy
2: awesome that's great i i it was easily one of my favorite episodes of the season just because of how different and how it took you out of the typical and, and really showcase something different and well done on, on for, from the writers and the director and everyone coming together to bring that to life um i thought i'd ask you about some of the cameos because obviously there's there's some very there's some very high level cameos. so i guess we'll start with the obvious one how, how did the sting cameo come to be like did 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 you just ask him or like <laughs> it's so
3: weird i uh, the first time i went to meet steve uh, martin at his home in new york To discuss further the script and stuff like that, he lives in a very storied, like amazing old pre-war apartment building in New York. And so I was nervous to go, and you know it's like very scary. Like I'm going Stark's home, all of that. So I got in the elevator, and immediately
2: next to me I realized is uh, Elaine May. Uh, Okay. So I was like,
3: oh Jesus, you know I was feeling comfortable because it's like an older woman who's all bundled up in the winter, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to feel relaxed now. And now it's Elaine May one of my heroes. So, um, it felt like, okay, you never know who you're going to find in New York in these buildings.
2: Yeah. And absolutely.
3: So we wanted to play off of that and think like, okay, <laughs> the most famous person in the building, who is the most famous person in this building We went through this whole list of people. And it was so shocking because it was like, okay, that's an absurd list. Right. Who on this can we really get? And just by happenstance, we thought, let's, let's ask our casting director to look at this list. And he came back immediately and he said, oh, it's got to be Sting. What? He said, it's got to be Sting. I love him. We'll love him. I think he may want to do it. He's in London now. It's a pandemic, but I think he might come back for it. Wait, are you kidding? He said, let me call him, because we worked together. He worked on his Broadway show. uh, And so two days later, we were Zooming with Sting out when he was in a French chateau, I mean, it was the most perfect setting. I was like, are you kidding me? Look at the, like your bookshelves behind your head. This is exactly where I should be zooming with Sting. And, uh, and he immediately just said, I'm in, let's do it. And it was all about, then he came and he was just like, everybody on set. You know, I think Arnie, Selena, everybody just like steps it up when they walk on that set. And uh, he did too. He just came
2: to play. Well, Kudos to the writer who wrote that line, you know, don't don't stand too close to Sting now, right? When <laughs> That was great. Awesome. Wait, Way to go, I John. Uh,
3: there are many better lines and great lines that... that uh,
2: uh, I laughed are, out loud. I, like, literally laughed out loud when, when he's, like, tugging at, at Winnie to, like, get the dog away. I loved it. It's so. a, a lot of I great know, jokes. A
3: whole quick story on that was that Marty... Because I was, like, I had written it, I, it was a last-minute ad in the scene, so mm-hmm. I had written it, and then we were shooting it and I hadn't talked about it with Marty and usually a joke like that, that will pop in some way, Marty will come over and just get in my ear and say, you know, okay, I love this. I love this. Or what, can we do this with this? And like, yeah, was, So whatever, but um, he didn't say anything. And so he was doing it yeah. and I'm watching him do it. And I'm like, Oh, well, I don't need to talk to him about this at all. Cause he has the perfect reader and he was getting it. Oh, he was flawless. So how I heard it, he's nailing it, like, of course he is. Yeah, after we shot it, he came over and he said, Mario, you didn't didn't tell me anything. He said, no, I couldn't talk about it because it was too good. I didn't want to talk about it before I did it. I'm like, oh, I get it now.
2: Well, he like, you know, actually kind of as a jump off point before we get to my next cameo question here, you know, you mentioned being in the elevator with Elaine May and, you know, kind of thinking about this building and and journeying to see Steve Martin and talk about this. Did a lot of the characters that kind of fill out this lovely apartment complex, uh, come from inspiration of other people that either you or or Steve Martin kind of had interacted with?
3: Yeah, very much so. You know, I was born yeah. in Brooklyn and uh, right. I was raised in Ohio, but I was raised with the constant, like from my New Yorker parents, like you are not from here. I very much worship New York. And I knew all my relatives were from New York, so they, a lot of like that vibe is what I was thinking but mainly, you know, the, there's, like, theater legends in this show. There, Nathan Lane to yes. Jane Howdy Shell, who's a dear like bunny, and Jackie Hoffman. It goes on. And Michael Creighton. These people are, like, genius theater people who, you'd be lucky if you got one to be available and they weren't mm-hmm. doing a show. It's this, like, mixed, terrible bag of, you know, no one was doing any theater last year, and I could have, you know... A much greater chance of getting one of them, at level all of them, in this show. So it was like a dream again for me. Like, I'm getting a collection of great New York character actors, but also shaping it for them a little bit, you know, my favorite comedic personalities, thinking of, you know, certain things, characters, you know, movies that I've seen in the past that are like, loves of mine that like and what is the different new spin you can do on
2: it? I love that I love that I, I feel like to, to, to build that world if you will, it is good to draw on those that you you have around you and and you know you called out Bunny who I was just always enamored with I loved her uh, her presence on screen and geez. I just thought she was such a delight. yeah she she's was she was actually like
3: up. she's in a movie coming up this later this year that she is getting raves for it, deservedly from what I understand and she won the Tony awesome. Award for it called the Humans.
2: Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, it
3: premiered in Toronto a couple of months ago, and and she, the reviews for her are through the roof. Is...
2: Amazing. Okay, well, we'll have to check that out. And and I think it's also really great too that you you know you called out the theater actors that they are, and there's such a theatricality to To a lot of the moments throughout this this season that I think are just very uh, needed, if you will, right for for the sense of dramedy that that follows. Another casting that cameo that I, I wanted to ask about was Jane Lynch. Like I absolutely laughed out loud when she walked through the door as as his stunt double. And like what, when you wrote that, did you write that with in mind that she was going to be that, that 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 guest star, or that, was it something that you kind of figured out after? It's one
3: of those rare pigeons that uh, come up in a room. And I had been, on our Zoom situation, I had been in another room working and I came back into the full room. Said, yeah. how did it go in the other room? And one of our writers, Gerger Butler said, um, it went really well. I just need to give you a headline. It's a thing we have to do. And I'm like, okay. And he said, we want to introduce at some point in the season, Steve stunt double and it has to be played by Jane Lynch. And I said, then we have to do that. It was no question. Like, immediately, like, we need to do that now. Does anyone know Jane Lynch so we can ask her to make herself available? We got on it really fast. Uh, that, and that was a dream. And we were on that
2: very early because we knew that that was kind of the only person who could play it. And I, I, right.
3: I believe we had her do it. And she was genius.
2: She was absolutely fantastic. I. I thought she just, she brought her Jane Lynch approach. Very, very dry humor to it. Like, I think that was absolutely great. Um, so as we kind of get towards the end here, and we're, we're going to talk about this this lovely finale, we now know that sweet Jan, the sweet bassoonist, was the one who killed Tim Kono. And when thinking about who the murderer was, w- was that always the option? Or were there other scenarios that you kind of played out with your writing room? How did you how did you land on on making... Jan the the killer.
3: It was an interesting process. We had a few other options um early on in the room and then uh you know knowing the theme of the show and knowing that you know it's really about these three lonely people looking for connection particularly
2: Charles's character right so yes. he struggled in relationships and all of
3: that and the idea that um the motive behind the real motive behind Tim getting murdered was mm-hmm. this connection that was occurring uh, out of loneliness between
2: him right. and oh.
3: this woman, and so that—that's where it kind of all started. But then it was brought in by one of the writers in the room to Madeline George, uh, and she talked about a, a, a friend of hers who plays the bassoon, and and I was immediately enamored of the story and the personality she was describing, and I was like, oh, that like I wanted someone from. classical world in new york right you know i thought that would be interesting and to play through the courtyard and all that um so that became the bassoonist but then quickly it was like a thread that we could understand where one of our main characters was getting enmeshed in a way that we could get invested in that would also hide Mm -hmm. her as a suspect because it felt like she was just going to be the romantic interest uh play that out and so then to reveal the thing that was connected to the theme all along, uh, and why ultimately Tim died. And then the parallel, which we do in episode 10, Charles's story. So how he understands Tim's story is because he kind of walked in the same
2: shoes. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's like poetry at its best. You know, chef's kiss. Like that was... Absolutely perfect. I think collectively, as as the geeks that we are here, that's what we love. But we love the craftiness, right? like to, to to your point of how you layered in just the theme of of wanting to be connected and 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 how that you know, is established in the first episode. and we just see that run through in all different courses. Uh, you know, bravo for for really kind of landing to that and and really again, hitting home a lot of those themes that, that you, that you've, you've outlined here. Oh, thanks. With, with the, with the finale, as it, you know, as it wrapped, you know, we see the, our beloved trio in, in caught in the middle of a, looks like a brand new murder mystery, but, uh, I gotta ask, cause it would be foolish if I didn't, you think we'll be getting a season two, or is that just up in the air for now?
3: I am so deep in season two right now. We are starting to okay. shoot in one month. Amazing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, we, are, we are very, very busy. And we're, we're, uh, Jumping in very quickly in New York here, Uh, yeah, and so it's crazy. We've we've
2: been really laying it out for the last several months and doing the work of these damn murder mystery
3: comedies, which are way harder to write than normal comedies. But
2: (laughs) but it's it's you found you found a way to bring two things together, right? Like that's why I think it's so refreshing, and I think that's why it really landed for us at least. And I think it's you know again a big reason as to why. There's so much recognition coming around it is because people can connect with the idea of murder mystery podcast and just murder mysteries in general, a true crime, but just this fascination of, of implementing more of a comedic tone to it, right? So it's not like it takes itself so, so seriously. There is that element of, of crime and, and and mystery, but there's it's just led by a cast that is is so so hilarious together, right? And, and unique. So I'm very uh, excited.
3: The opportunity was, right? So like during a moment when we were writing this, it was a very fraught time. And
1: I right. this first season of a show, which is taking
3: some real risks and attempts that hopefully we get to make it during this time. Who knows? It's all sitting on a tightrope. But uh, I would go every night for uh, to calm my nerves. Right. Uh, and I'd watch two episodes of the Mary Tyler Moore show from the 70s that was on Hulu. And that is awesome. nothing but these incredibly warm characters that are pretty broadly drawn, but then draw you in in ways that like make you like love them to death. And it that's felt awesome. like that was infusing some of the other stuff. Go to the classics, and then yep. modernize. But um, that's basically the theory behind all of that.
2: That's amazing. That's that's so good to find it. And it actually feeds into the my, one of my last questions here. Uh, we have a segment on, on our episodes that we call Watch Ya. Uh, it's kind of a, a moment for whoever is on, uh, whether it's us geeks or, or someone like yourself, what you've been watching, what you've been reading, what you've been gaming, if you game. Is there anything you know outside of the Mary Tyler Moore obviously show kind of serving as an inspiration? What are you watching uh, as a way to unwind and, and kind of bring yourself back and or maybe feel inspired?
3: I love that. I think well, I've been I've been busy. Uh, right and, and sadly my hours have shifted since I moved from Los Angeles to New York. So when I go to bed now, of I go like oh um <laughs>
2: Really crazy early. But uh the things I've loved recently, I've been watching I, I watched White Lotus,
3: which I thought was really interesting yeah. and and um, I'm gonna say all the most typical boring things. Um I was really I just started watching Reservation Dogs.
2: Yes, oh my god, I love this show. It, it's probably another one of my favorites from twenty twenty one. Uh, You know, top three, you know, only murders in that list and reservation dogs and and Ted Lasso. But what's funny is that, you know, um, each of these shows I find have a different way of being fresh and new, while still giving sort of insightful, uh, very personal thoughts on on, again, connectivity uh, you know, diversity and, and just the idea of understanding one another. Um, and I think that that's like, if I were to lump all those shows into one, that's kind of the collective I've taken away of what I've appreciated from at least this past year of, of streaming, you know what I mean? So Reservation Dogs, you will enjoy. It is so good. I've heard it and I just loved it when I started and I was, uh, you know, and it's also, you know, the absolute opposite of connection and like everything else, but I can't wait to start this exactly. session.
3: Yeah. Like,
2: yes. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Yes. Of course. But
3: um, yeah, no, and I and that that that's been pretty much my my sole other thing I'm doing if I can grab time. Um, you know, every now and then watch a Great British baking show because that
2: would be nice. To- there you go. See, so that's good. So yeah. you have something outside of everything else that just basically you can turn because, like, I've always say that to my wife and myself, like, and we all do it. It's just something that. It's totally out of like this idea of having to think about, you can just turn your brain off and and watch something like, uh, we watch a lot of HGTV. You know what I mean? Like yes. we watch like the whole yeah. interior design, right? Like we love that stuff. It's still creative, but Don't whatever. Out. Just... Don't out, exactly. That's good. Um, so apart from, apart from, you know, working on season two, are there any other projects? Because this show is obviously getting huge amounts of recognition and it's being celebrated as it should be. Um, and I was thinking, you know, with all of that, there must be a lot more People knocking at your door asking you to so, to take part, and <laughs> it's, uh, it's crazy. Been
3: four people have knocked in the laptop. <laughs> um it's, it's so weird because I'm very isolated. It's so nice to talk to you about this. It's nice to connect with people like in this way because it's a little bit like I'm not just in the world as much because I'm right. locked in my laptop at the moment, but it's also right. uh, you know the state of the world. But it it's it's. Nice to get that feeling. Yes, I have lots of projects, lots of ideas, and things like that. It'd be sweet if things were a little easier from here on out.
2: hundred percent. Yeah.
3: You never know. I mean, it's it's. I just feel so stupidly lucky to be sitting where I am with this
2: room I can, I can imagine. It's it's like you got to pinch yourself every so often just to remind yourself. Crazy to look on Twitter and to see all the different people every week and just interacting and, and sharing their thoughts on, you know, know. you know, who killed Tim Kono. Like It's I, crazy. I forgot,
3: that part of it is shocking. And not shocking, it makes sense, but it's very reassuring too. I just, yes. like, it is a place, you know, typically where people can go and vent and stuff like that. But when I, I keep looking and I feel this great love for it, uh, when I see, you know, an overwhelming response like that, and it's we keep on checking ourselves, like, I, you know, I'm sure, you know, it won't always be that way, and I know, you know, it's that Ted Lasso phenomenon for their second season, which was crazy, and uh, but, um, you know, I, it's it's it, I'm still I think a little bit stunned.
2: yeah i I can i can imagine i would be i would be
3: yeah you put all this effort into something (laughs) you dream and wish that it will connect a little bit and then it like does this other thing
2: surpasses it yeah it kind of goes beyond that and it's just kind of like whoa like this is great so i I, again can't say enough about how much we've loved this show it it definitely like i I think in in that in, in our spoiler free we discussed how kevin kind of brought it uh into our our ears uh really early on about you know, just the the cast dynamic and how he was intrigued to see what it was all about, and I think all three of us were completely floored by it. So we we loved it. We 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 appreciate you coming on to the podcast today to share a little bit more insight. And yeah, like I've said countless times, the show deserves all the recognition. And uh, oh, thank you so much, John. Thank
3: you, and and good luck with your pod and everything. Because I, frankly, that was also just to say it. It was one of the most refreshing moments for me, just hearing you guys. Also, just rec- not just recognize that there was something unexpectedly different. You surprised yourself by finding it, yep. but then going forward, leaning in because I know what you guys lean into mostly. But you're like, and I was so appreciative of the fact you like weren't posing in some way that you were. Just, nope. and It's a very. I, I was just.
2: <laughs> yeah, we we we, we got to like stop it sometimes. We're like, are we like, are we? pumping the we're pumping it too hard but like no it it deserves it because we were just so captivated by it and we just love the dynamic so So you know again so thank you so much we appreciate you having you on the podcast so happy
3: to be here thanks for asking wow that was
0: so insightful Uh, and it was so kind of john to give us so much of his time thank you John. uh, especially considering as he revealed the team is already right back at it working on season two uh, you know, and so speaking of which, let's discuss how this episode finally revealed the true murderer of Tim Kono, but also set up season two of the show with a brand new mystery: who killed the biggest bitch in the building? Buddy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think that was that's kind of what I was talking about, right? You get yeah. to that moment where you you see Mabel call her the biggest bitch in the building in front of yep. a few other people. And it, it's that's that's going to play into it, right? We're going to yep. see them have to deal with that because everyone's going to be looking at them as they they you know oh shit, they were about to be evicted, so of course they're gonna they're gonna take her out. They're gonna you know they hate her, um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how they get out of this, and how they how they work with uh, everyone as well.
0: For myself, kind of watching this first season, I was like it it kind of felt like they were going to be able to solve this in the span of a season, and I thought is it going to feel forced to. Mm expand upon these characters adventure and and you know have them go forward after solving the murder but by the end of that episode not only was I excited for season two because of where they left us off but also just uh, the the final episode just reminded me why I love these characters so much and why I can't wait to see more of them and so I was just so happy that they set it up in what felt like a natural and organic enough way that a season two is more than welcome for me.
2: Yeah, I, I didn't I thought they were gonna conclude this case. To see that there's there's still more that's happening in this building and with these band of characters, that's that's refreshing because now we know we're gonna see more of the Arconia and, and and its delightful tenants. Yeah, I'm just excited to see how this is all gonna unfold in season two, leaving us with that cliffhanger. I thought it was I thought it was well done.
0: And it had almost been so long since that opening scene of the series that I mm-hmm. kind of forgot. That that's how we started this whole show off, and so it was, it was like, oh right, we haven't seen what this scene with Selena Gomez covered in blood and 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 the the guys getting confronted by the cops, where that led, and so yeah, I'm I'm just excited to see where we might go with season two. I mean, mm-hmm. I was
1: waiting for, um, what's his name, Oscar, I believe, Oscar to to. To be turned over, right? I thought right. this guy's dead. There's no way he's going to keep 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 on through. Uh, and so, yeah, to see the reveal of of Bunny was just so uh, so fantastic. And I think it was such a great way to sort of um, add that twist to everything that was going on. And it ah, uh, it Absolutely. really worked.
0: I, but, my, I, but I mean, Bunny hated. The Murder, She Wrote crew, as she called them. Right. Why was she wearing one of their sweaters? I mean, what's going on? I think
2: it was a message. As they're being walked out, you know, you see all the tenants looking at them, shaking their heads. Because... This trio is now going to be a part of another murder mystery where they're actually the murderers, right? We're not the ones trying to solve it, right? So yeah, they're the suspects. Yeah, they're suspects, yeah.
0: Will they work with the detective, uh, Detective Williams, played by uh, Davine Joy Randolph? Will so they good. work with their their fan club, the the only murderers in the building fan club, to, to help sure. solve the case?
1: That'd be so yeah. cool. I think it would be awesome uh, to kind of see them sort of, you know, that's how they keep the podcast motif through, through the next season sure. even though mm. we're we're able to put these characters in a situation where they're outside of the Arconia they're they're not necessarily behind the microphone so i think that's going to be really cool i do hope though at some point that we get to hear maybe a crossover episode with the horticultural homies again cuz yeah. they were awesome and i remember yeah. in this season like just one of the standout moments is getting to hang out with them and getting to see all these these sort of additional characters come in but specifically like when they run into them and they You know, it sort of sets uh, Charles and Oliver, gives them a a bit of a reality check right? Sits right. them back on their ass and just says like, no, no, no. I know you think you're doing good with like, what was it like a hundred listens or something like that. And then these two just come out and just talk about just how much better they're doing so casually when originally they looked at them like, who the heck are these guys driving around in this this van? So um, I know that's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to you two tons of times where you've come out and you've been like, yeah, I'm, I'm hot shit. But then somebody comes up and is like, no, you're not.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's natural to sort of compare yourself to. I mean, now that we're really sort of getting into the podcast community and we're now running into the same groups of people from other podcasts yeah. at movie premieres and everything, who knows, maybe we'll get recognized uh, this weekend at the convention in our geek centric garb. And, I hope you know, so. it'll, it would be amazing to. <laughs> we've had it in the past where somebody's watched our YouTube videos before. It'd be amazing to be, hey, I listened to the podcast. But yeah, the show does this great job. In so many different ways of, uh, you know, celebrating the podcasting world and the podcasting community and the different people that sort of make up that community.
2: Well, I I think that there's an opportunity because in that interview, uh, uh, Johns shared that Selena Gomez was a huge true crime fan and actually went to Crime Con with her mom, and I think that would be such a cool episode to like feature, you know, Charles Oliver and and Mabel at at you know Crime Con, you know, you know, <laughs> or at least maybe that's where fans.
1: that's where their fans are, right? And they yeah, they sure. they do they have a booth, and then it's just the yeah. fans running the booth.
2: Yeah. How did you so like? I know we've been talking kind of like how how it all wraps up, but you know we. Only got eight episodes upon upon the screening. So, you know, the last two, you know, we waited and, and we got it. And we actually fi- now find out, you know, Jan is the killer. How did you guys feel about that? Like, did you, do you feel like, cause I, I rewatched it. And when we got to episode eight and there is that, she's like making that huge push for uh, the tenant with the cat. You know, I think he's the one. I, I would, I would suspect him. I was like, after that, I was like, could it be her? And then you get to episode nine and it was like, oh, Oh, it was her, right? Yeah, so. I mean,
0: I I didn't suspect her at all. I think they did right. a great job of making it plausible upon retrospect that, okay, now we can see some of her motives and her sneaky little actions, yeah. but they weren't glaringly obvious, I don't think. And so they did a great sure. job of, of not making it completely implausible and out of nowhere, but, you know, disguising it for us as viewers.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'm I'm... I'm not too proud of myself because I (laughs) I only figured out the reveal super close as it was happening. It's like, you know, like literally minutes before she says a line like, you know, uh, I stabbed myself. I'm like, she stabbed herself. (laughs) And then she's like, I stabbed myself. I'm like, I knew it! But like I, you know, you can't be too proud. But I I do think like it was cool to see how they 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 did with they they did what they did with a small amount of time. And, you know, to see Jan. Revealed that it was, you know, she was cheated on by Tim Kono. She loses her temper, um, especially when she can't be part of the podcast. You go back and you see how how much she sort of overreacts yeah. in that moment because she's triggered. Um, cause she doesn't like to play second chair to yep. anyone. Uh, mm-hmm. And obviously she made that apparent in this episode. I do think, though, that might be the only thing about this season that did. It, it, I kind of wish that Jan was a part of this from the start. I wish that Jan was maybe introduced a little Mm. bit earlier, just a little bit in the sense that, you know, I felt like the, the progression for her character was a little fast near the end. That was the only thing that sort of got to me where I was just like, okay, oh, oh, okay. Like, I guess I I get how they did do that seed planting effectively near the end. I just wish it felt like it from the beginning. Uh, And Justin, I mean, you rewatched the whole thing. Did you find that that was the case?
2: no, I did not. Okay. I actually found I found that they did a great job of just introducing her in small amounts and really framing it around Charles is wanting for some sort of connectivity of a relationship, and that's how they framed it. And you know to have this realization that that connectivity was built, built on a falsivity, I think they did a really great job of of planting her in and really teeking us out in terms of not not necessarily showing all their cards because it wasn't until episode eight that I started thinking. Could it be her, right? Um, I loved how in in episode ten they they really did do you know how she reveals her master plan and how everything went down and how how like psychotic she was and bravo to Amy Ryan right because she's always just you know she was always uh, what was her name in uh, the office? Um,
1: well, it I, wasn't but, Jan because Jan was no, Jan was the Jan other was one. the other girlfriend. <laughs>
0: Yeah, she plays um Holly, 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 yeah, the, the perfect Holly. suitor for yeah. for Michael she, Scott and, yeah. and she
2: had a lot of the same sort of semblance of like that sort of quirky, funny, you know, like what was the pun that they did like I'll I'll beso- basoon you later or something like right. that. Right, even
0: after she's poisoned <laughs> him, <but> she's still <laughs> yeah, got that quirky exactly. sense of humor. yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's so, and I, I find yeah. it great because I mean, before she was on The Office, she would always been known as a far more dramatic actress. She's been nominated for an Academy Award for her, her, her more dramatic performances. And, and so I think she's really in the roles we've talked about here, these two roles between The Office and Only Murders. She's tapped into this in these comedic roles, and, and I'd love oh, yeah. to see her in more of them. And it was almost upsetting because you did sort of fall in love with her, and their relationship was so perfect, and and Charles deserved it, and and so it, we almost felt betrayed. With- yeah, maybe, yes, exactly. maybe I just felt,
2: and I and <laughs> I think they me. did a great job yeah. at doing that, at the way they seed planted like and building it around a relationship to only reveal that she was the murderer. Like I think at the end, like you said, Kevin, we feel for Charles because he was yearning for that that connection, and and he he ended up losing it, but it's unfortunate. But eh, say la vie.
0: Yeah, and and I think they did a great job of having uh, Teddy Dimas played by Nathan Lane and his son, sort of be that decoy red herring. And it's not like they were completely innocent. We solved a a completely different sort of crime that they had been committing for years and years um, throughout the course of the show. But yeah, they were the perfect foil to prevent our three sleuths from from actually solving the case until it was almost too late.
2: 100%.
0: Uh, Now, just... Speaking about the series, the season, uh, I should say, as a whole, were there any highlights, any episodes or moments that you want to discuss? I mean, there's so many, but what are maybe a few that
1: really stand out? I mean, I'm going to shout out the one that we're all going to be like, oh, that's the one.
0: Let's get it out of the way because we have to. The
1: boy from 6B was such an incredible departure from the rest of the season. And, you know, just how John put it in the interview just now, like, you know, a bold departure for a show that's about a podcast to to yeah. to make a whole episode with no dialogue. Yeah, but it still felt like at the end it fit so perfectly, and I just thought it was so cool that they that that the he was able to they were able to do that. Um, and they were you know they had the tr- the the trust was given to them to be able to make this. Yeah, it episode. was so
0: cool to hear how he he really appreciated the, right? the the studio
1: giving them that freedom that taking that risk. That was really cool, and hear. like it, it makes me wonder like. Can we get a series like that? You know what I mean. Could we get mm-hmm. more shows that are like that? Because why yeah, not? Yeah,
2: I, yeah. I think I think it's definitely doable. But it, it, you know, for an episode, it makes sense, right? Like it, it just it's kind of steps out sure. and then back in. Um, and and I think again, like John said, it was it was a. Big, big step outside of what was already very conventional to to the rest of the series, that they didn't know if, how it was going to work. And, you know, once they watched it, they were like, oh, yeah, this will work. Um, so I think that that's great. Also, I, I loved Protect and Serve. That really highlighted uh, Detective Williams. Uh, episode six. Um I love that episode. I loved that we focused on, on her and just how she became motivated, uh, to, to kind of listen to the podcast and learn more and, and kind of dig deeper into this case. So I thought that was really a really great episode. I just liked how they kind of took us outside just to show us, you know, again, just the other surrounding characters and give them a little bit more, uh, poignancy in this, in this series. Uh,
0: so much of what I loved of this show is how it, it, was so meta in in how it referenced different forms of entertainment and mm-hmm. media. Uh, I mean, we've talked so much both in the the, the spoiler free and, and now about the the way it intertwines podcasting into the show. And so episode eight for me, fan fiction, was one of my favorites in in seeing this podcast for them sort of become this sensation. Yeah. And they have their fans camped out. And, and then mm. the fans get their ultimate dream come true, getting to come up to the apartment and <laughs> so work on the good. podcast with them. <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I thought that was like, it was super meta. That episode was great. I, I also love like one fantastic moment in this season is when Ollie is trying to think about All of the suspects. Yes, this is my other one, yes. For a casting scene on the stage. And he's going through each of them as the director. And even as he tries to put the story together, uh, of, of how this all goes out. You see it throughout the, the, the series, how he's, he's very theatrical, right? Like he's bringing his stage presence. And, you know, again, I, I think that, that that theatricality and that, that, that sort of high intensity, it just worked really well for this sort of dramedy uh, escapades, if you will.
1: And I, I mean, that f- sort of falls into another moment that I, I just got to shout out as well is at the end of episode one, right? And they have that, that moment or that feeling of, of sort of bouncing back Right, and you literally see him fall off, and and then yeah. they they do that sort of sort of cheesy CGI looking thing, but it didn't matter because it you understood you know kind of what was going on for each character in that moment, and I thought it was really I actually thought it was really beautiful for a show that again I I come into it and I'm like okay let's let's laugh, and yes of course I laughed, but I think it was really cool to see some of those. Those more beautiful moments those more poetic moments and I think the the series just does such a good job with its writing to be able to do that um, can I just also just shout out Jane Lynch because oh, what an yes. incredible One of the best cameos. The, yeah. her impersonation with every movement too right you know along with uh, Steve Martin like the way they they push their glasses up at the same time was so good, but all specifically Ollie discovering, <laughs> discovering <laughs> the, this the Jane Lynch and walking up to her and just being like, "No, no, you've done too much. You've done too much." I was, I was on the floor, like so good. We've talked so much about the dynamic and the and the the the,
0: the uh, chemistry between our three main characters, and they each had such a, a specific role that they were playing. And throughout most of the show, it's Martin Short who's the loud. Animated, boisterous one, uh, the really physical acting and everything, and then Steve Martin in this final episode got a chance to sort of yep. be our our comedic role, and he's drugged yeah. the slaps yep. like him yep. and the baby stroller <laughs> getting pushed
1: around. It's just he was so <laughs> the, good. At the fake out at the end when he stands oh, up <laughs> and, <laughs> and I he's just, just like... talking gibberish, so good, so good, so good. Oh, fantastic.
0: Yeah, obviously, I think we could probably sit here for (laughs) as long as the series was in terms of a runtime and talk about moments we loved. Uh, But I think it's a pretty clear consensus. This might be the most consensus uh, opinion that the three of us have ever had (laughs) in terms of loving something so much from start to finish. Uh, But before we wrap up, I think it's time to give our final scores for both the season finale as well as the highly enjoyable first season. We're going to rank the final episode out of five nearly exploding gas fireplaces, Oof. and we'll rank the season out of five Emerald
1: Rings. I think the, the finale did, as I said, I think it did a really good job with with the time that it had. Um, to to sprinkle in these little uh, last minute seeds and then the reveals. Um, I loved what they did, as you said, with with Charles Hayden Savage at the end, fl- kind of giving him that role reversal. Um, getting to see Mabel and Oliver sort of run up and down the building, and they do the the gag with the with the elevators as they <laughs> come out of the wrong one. He goes into the right one. Um, I you know what I I thought the only thing that sort of got to me a little bit was, and maybe it was because I really did want to see. Jan and Charles together. Um, that kind of put me off a little bit, but I, I did feel like it. It felt a little rushed to see her character make that flip. I would love to have seen it sort of. Um, maybe I just. Maybe I'm dumb, and I, I wanted it revealed a little bit better um, throughout, and and maybe I wanted to catch on to it a little earlier. But um, I think kind of having a bit more of her involvement. Maybe could have made that a little more realistic for me. Um, but, dude, honestly, it's, it's so hard to find anything wrong with this uh, show and with this episode. So um, for this episode, for the finale, I think I'm going to give it 4.5 nearly exploding fireplaces. Is that, is that what
2: you're calling it?
1: Gas fireplaces, specifically, because she does turn the gas on. Um, for this entire show, though, this entire season, I mean, come on. It was such a delightful surprise. I don't think we can say another nice thing about this show that we haven't already said. I'm ready to just get some gut milk in me, uh, get some martinis, and and enjoy it all over again. And a delightful surprise for it to come out in 2021, I think, when when so many people need uh, some fresh television. Because I, th- I know people, a lot of people are are binging a lot. And so this is definitely up there in my top three for, for 2021. Uh, so I'm going to give it five out of five, Emerald... Rings. Are you kidding me? Put put all rings on each one of my fingers right now because um yeah, man, I really dug this and I was so delightfully surprised. Yeah. Mm.
2: Well said, well said. Um yeah, I don't think there's much I could really add to that. Yeah, it was the, the the season finale did a really great job of tying everything up while also leaving me wanting more. I liked how they wrapped things up. I, I think they did a really good job of seed planting. Jan throughout this and then really leaving it to the last two episodes for that big reveal I thought that was really well done Um, and it was so much fun and like like you pointed out Kev this was like a real great episode for Steve Martin's sort of slapstick comedy to really shine right? Like this was the episode where that was, where I think he was very reserved, maybe more so throughout the entire season. Boom. We get like that, that classic, like, I feel like it reminded me of uh, father of bride too. When he takes the, uh, the sleeping pill Frank gives him, you know, again, really, really great. I think they ended strong, really strong. I'm giving this episode as I would give probably every one of these episodes, five out of five, uh, nearly exploding gas fireplaces. And I can't say enough about the season. Like I, like the interview, I was gushing. I've been I gushed in the spoiler free. Yeah, it's it's a five out of five for me. This there is no wrong here. This is definitely one of the top three uh, TV series that that came out in twenty twenty one for me um, that I really enjoyed. And yeah, I, I just solid, solid work, so five out of five uh, emerald rings,
0: yeah, I mean guys you you covered it uh, as well as as well as I could hope myself. Uh, this episode was a perfect capper, and I as I mentioned at the top of the program, I wasn't sure if once this case was solved, how they could naturally keep the show going, and I think they found the absolute best possible way to do it. There's so many possibilities opened up for Season 2 because of what happened in this episode. Um, And so a lot like you guys, I'm going big, big, big with my scores. Uh, I'm giving uh, this episode 5 out of 5 nearly exploding gas fireplaces. And for the season as a whole, I am patting myself on the back here. I said it in the early parts of the year that this was one of my most anticipated shows of the year. And it's not often where I look forward to something... This much, and then it delivers beyond even those expectations, uh, and so kudos to the whole team for putting together something that took a lot of people by surprise, and I think really, really um, was a perfect sort of show for for the times we 're in. Um, and perfectly encapsulates so much of what's going on in the world between podcasts and and the crime stories being popular. It just capitalized on those so well. Uh, So once again, uh, this is a five out of five Emerald Rings for me, 100%.
1: Do we think Jan, Amy Ryan is going to be in the next season? I'm wondering if maybe Charles visits her in jail or or something along those lines. Or do you think that, because again, as we said, like, I did really like her and and, I, and part of my my slight disappointment for the finale was that she was going away and I want to see more of her. But now what if that was one
0: last parting gift that she left for the team um uh, before getting arrested? I mean, I'm not sure if it would line up how long the body's been in the apartment. Mm. Uh, maybe that doesn't maybe that doesn't work with the timing. Uh but so that almost leads me to my final question and that mm. is do we think that we've been introduced to the murderer here? Who do we think it might be uh-huh. that is trying to sabotage the crew?
2: I think we will see Jen. I, I could see them visiting her in prison and, and finding out a little bit more information and, and seeing if there was any sort of connection. But I do think that whoever did what they did, whoever killed Bunny, definitely took advantage of the situation and, you know, planted planted it all over them.
0: Well, speaking of which, maybe it's Tina Fey's character who's just trying to make some money off of these guys, right? Ooh. She sees she sees the potential there. I so like that a lot. Well, They did
2: hang on her. She was the last shot at the end. Right, there, and she so. didn't
0: seem that surprised. She seemed more, you know, salacious. She was enjoying everything that was happening because she knew yep. she could exploit it. She had dollar signs in her eyes. So Interesting. But we're, hopefully we don't have to wait too long to find out. Well, there you have it, our review for the season finale and the first season of Only Murders in the Building. A huge, huge, huge thanks has to go to John Hoffman. Yes. Uh, He reached out to us during the season and said how much he had enjoyed our our spoiler-free review and then was so nice here once the season wrapped to take the time, even though he's super busy making season two. To just let us into that world and find out a little bit more about it, we are definitely going to bug him uh, to come back and join us on season two. Maybe uh, he will, he'll bring along a special guest or something. <laughs> Who knows? We can dream, right?
2: That's all about dreaming. Listen, big, so. as
1: long as he maybe he could just send us in the mail some gut milk. Honestly, I want that to be a real thing. I don't want I keep those letters. I oh, want those yeah.
2: tie-dye sweaters. That
1: would be dope. Oh, dude. Okay, where's the merch, John? Get us some merch. Let's make it happen. I'll put it on the Insta. Let's make it. Yeah, let's that'd go. be good. I will definitely have to keep our eyes peeled
0: for that. Uh, but for now, thank you so much for tuning in wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and leave, leave us a glowing review. Or this podcast might become a murder mystery investigation of its own. Muahaha! Sorry, it's almost Halloween, and that just seemed fitting. Uh, We'd also like to know what you thought about this fantastic mystery show. Were you able to crack the case before our trusted amateur detectives? What was your favorite episode, and who was your favorite character of the first season? You can let us know at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. Or if that's a bit too much like an instrument cleaning device that looks like a sex toy for you, hit us up on Twitter at geekcentricyt and on Instagram at wearegeekcentric. And remember, we have just a ton of podcasts to check out, including some really exciting content coming soon. Stay tuned for our spoiler-free reviews of Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho, as well as Marvel's The Eternals. Plus, we're off to Fan Expo in Toronto this weekend, so be sure to hear our thoughts on everything we'll get a chance to check out at our first convention in two years. But until then, Justin, Nate, and everyone listening, I appreciate you, and until next time, keep it
1: geeky. Bassoon you later. (laughs) What did oh, she say? Besoon oh, you late. you I don't know. Besoon
2: you late. I can't even remember. Okay. <laughs> peace.
1: Love you.